Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade to give you a new, elevated trading experience tailor-made for trader minds. Go deeper with Thinkorswim, the powerful, award-winning trading platforms now at Schwab. Unlock support from the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders who live and breathe trading like you do. And sharpen your skills with an expanding library of online education crafted just for traders. All designed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. Stock surge S&P 500 index had its strongest gain in a month. UK citizens are voting today in a referendum on the country's membership in the European Union. UK law prevents us from reporting on voting or discussion and analysis of referendum issues while polls are open, but we will be following all the action once those results come in. S&P 500 index up 27 points to 2113, a gain today of 1.3%. Dow Industrials up at 230 points to 18,011, a gain there of 1.3%. NASDAQ advanced 1.6%, up 76 points to 4910. The 10-year down 16.30 seconds, yield 1.74%. Gold down $9 the ounce to 12.61, a drop of 7 tenths of 1%. Crude oil back above $50 a barrel. Talking about West Texas Intermediate Crude, up a dollar today to $50.13. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. This is Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. Accenture. Earnings out today. They're boosting their year-adjusted earnings per share view. That's a plus. We have the CEO for North America joining us now. And, of course, you know Accenture probably very well, a leading global professional services company. Lots of services and solutions and strategy, consulting, digital technology, and operations. I've certainly um, dealt with a lot of Accenture professionals when during the banking crisis and all that. Lots of value added there. Julie Sweet adding some value today on taking stock. She's located in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, but coming all the way to New York to join us in studio today. Absolutely. Excited to be here. Thanks. So, Julie, uh, how's it looking? How are the earnings per share looking good? A better look, outlook for the future? What's driving it? Well, we had a great quarter, um, obviously, uh, in North America, where we're at 11% growth in revenue and local currency and 10% globally. And we raised our outlook for earnings per share to 10 to 11%. We're 10% year to date. So very excited. And it's being driven by two big things, our investments in um, acquisitions and in our business, uh, which are really differentiating us, and then leading in the new digital cloud security. It's now 40% of our business, and it's growing double digit. I was going to say the security part of the business and the cloud part of the business. I mean, this is, as you said, 40 percent. Do you see a time when it's going to be more than 50 percent of the business? Absolutely. I mean, it's really based on demand. And we're seeing two big things from our clients. The first is amidst the digital revolution, they're coming to us to understand how is technology impacting our business and then take that from insight to execution. And the second thing we're seeing is around productivity, efficiency and sustained 
investment capacity in large part to be able to fuel the investment needed for the digital transformation. And it's not ending. There's no finish line in the digital revolution and there's no one and done. Break that down for a, a little bit for us. Efficiency, productivity, investment capacity, all that kind of thing. Real words, a, a concept, an example. A com- what, what does that mean? Sure. So if you think about our portfolio, we serve 40 industries. They're all in different places. So if you're in oil and gas today, you're focused very much on um, cost cutting, more um, being able to do more with less because of the pressures in that business. If you're in retail, financial services, consumer goods, you're trying to take advantage of the digital consumer experience and growing your top line, but that takes investment, right? That takes modernization, new capabilities, changing the workforce. And so in both cases, you're looking at better ways to be, to have, um, to deliver more with less and to have more ability to invest, but driven by different pressures. What are some of those pressures? So um, on the um, where we are growing top line, it's around the disruption that's coming from the digital revolution, which is about new entrants. So you've got Amazon and um, and Netflix, you know, pressuring sort of anything that's around content, television, cable. You have uh, new entrants in terms of you know logistics. It's not just about Uber; it's about how that's transforming uh, the the business to business. So you've got a lot of every industry has some kind of disruption, and companies are having to step back and say, what does it mean for us, both from an opportunity and from a risk perspective? Who's your biggest competition? So we have five different businesses, and we have competitors in each of those businesses. So it's not a single. We have strategy, consulting, digital, technology, and operations, and the competitors are different by business. Is it also just different by geography? Because you are the CEO of North America. Absolutely. And so every there are some companies that are more global, though we're one of the most global in terms of we're in 56 countries where people operate in 100 uh, different countries at any given time. But each market also has individual players who are competitors. And in fact, we think a lot now about leveraging, about being local and leveraging global because it's more important that now than ever and to be really in your local markets. Again, who would be the client, what kind of company that would be saying, gee, hmm, Accenture told me I need to be local and le- leverage uh, globally. What does that mean? What's who, who, Give me, again, a concrete example. Sure. So if you're a consumer goods company, um, consumers today want personalization. And the nature of the consumer in the U.S. versus China versus Brazil is really different. And so the products may be the same, but how you're marketing it, how they're, the buying patterns, the way they buy are very different depending on the market. And that's the personalization that consumers now expect. And that's the innovation that companies are coming to us to look at is how do we real time personalize for our consumers? Now, I know that one of the biggest projects you've been working on is the uh, affordable health care website for the U.S. government, trying to make that better, more efficient. How's that going? It's going really well. In fact, we were just renewed in our contract there, and we're extremely proud of that work because that's really improving the way the world works and lives. It's bringing health care to millions of Americans, and we're very proud of the work we do. How do you price your services? Can you give us any sense of what I would pay if I were that company needing to figure out how to uh, globalize my local 
company. Kathleen, it's interesting you ask that because what we're really seeing is a shift to actually paying a lot more based on outcomes and well as on service. And so we have um, we, we have uh, commercial contracts now where just as our client is having to deliver an outcome like patient improved patient care, we're also saying we'll be paid based on how we're helping you achieve that. We also have con- commercial contracts where you buy as a service, you buy as you use, and then of course traditional fees for service. And so um, what we find is it's important to think about what the client needs and adjust our commercials. Thank you very much for coming in and spending time with us. And thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Kathleen. It was great to be here. Julie Sweet, the chief executive of North America for Accenture. They're based in Alexandria, Virginia. Talking about a company that does $34 billion of business a year. This is Bloomberg Radio. Taking Stock is brought to you by Bentley University. What do tying up the finances at Converse and managing asset allocations at J.P. Morgan have in common? A business degree from Bentley University. Because business is everywhere. Prepare here. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams-Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.